Welcome to Filmy Happy Hour. The podcast where two professors unwind and talk about movies. Hi, Gwen. Hi, Zevanissa. Happy Halloween. <laughs> we are so excited today because we have an incredible guest coming up. Um, the director of Zeba Khana, Umar Ali Khan, will be joining us shortly to talk about horror films and his movie. So we hope you enjoyed that and stick around because at the end of the show, we hope to get his recommendations for, um, for what to watch this Halloween since we're all staying in. So you can dress up, get some popcorn out and um, watch some, some scary films. What's happening in the world of film? Obviously, Chorales is, um, is something that uh, is on everybody's minds these days. Uh, and maybe, Zevanissa, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, this kind of ban or unban or what's been going on with this, uh, this series? Yeah, so I mean, Chorales came out. It was this phenomena that, you know, went through social media and, you know, everybody was talking about it. And then it was on Z5, um, a streaming platform. And then I think... Um, all the episodes were up and suddenly it was not available for Pakistani audiences anymore. And then a few days later, it suddenly became available for audience, Pakistani audiences again. So just as people were starting to complain, it started coming back. So we don't really know what the status, uh, what happened exactly. I think that, you know, people have talked a bit about it, but, uh, you know, it's continuing, unfortunately, with that trend of banning things um, and then not, you know, without too much thought to it and I think um, it would have been very unfortunate if Chureyes had been um, if we hadn't been had access to it because it's an important screen text for I think Pakistan to have. Yeah I I agree and this ban thing I mean so there's a there's a funny phenomenon here in Pakistan too that even if something is not officially banned uh, it still somehow manages to end up unofficially banned. And like the example, other example right now is of course in the Geet Tamasha, which was cleared by Synth Censor Board back in July, but everything was shut down because of COVID. So they had talked about an October release date, which doesn't seem to be happening. I know it it played at Busan, um, I guess a couple weeks ago now, unless you happen to be in South Korea and see it at the festival um, or see if you see it at a film festival, somewhere around the world, you might get to see it. But people actually in Pakistan, it's looking more and more like they won't have any real way to access this film. And no stranger to, um, to this is director Shreb Mansoor, whose new film is, is being made right now. I think they're filming it or they finished filming, but um, Maya is confirmed to be in that film. And we don't know the title yet, but I believe that she's, I mean, the acronym might be ABG. We don't know what that is, but you know that when Shreb Mansoor has something you know, he's got something to say in, in all his films. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big deal. And this is encouraging um, for multiple reasons. This is also, I think, one of the first kind of hints of the projects that are coming. We're not in a post COVID world, but the projects that are like down, you know, down the line uh, for Pakistani cinema, uh, because so many people's films have been put on hold and so many theaters are in dire financial straits and there's been a lot of justified concern about the impact of the pandemic on all film industries but um, you know maybe especially this film industry that was already struggling in particular ways uh, so 
a new Shoei Mansour film. Let's let's hope it comes soon. And another reason why it's like you said it's um, positive is because it's an example of even though you know he had issues with Varna and with the censor boards and so on, he's still coming back. And I think that's the important thing to keep on making films that you want to make and to keep on trying to get your work out there is probably the best advice that can get can be given to young filmmakers right now. And I'm really excited also about um, Ali Kazmi is appearing in Deepa Mehta's uh, Funny Boy, which is a great example of the worlds colliding. Yeah, uh, and this is coming out, uh, I believe, on Netflix in December. This is another example of these international moments of international cooperation that seem like very unique things, but actually this happens all the time and people um, because we like to put things in neat and tidy boxes and say this is Pakistani cinema and this is uh, Indian cinema and this is Sri Lankan cinema, um, you know, it, it, it's, it actually really limits our understanding of how diverse and vibrant uh, film industries really are and filmmaking as a practice really is. And um, as a spoiler, we hope to really get into these issues when we have our next guest um in a few weeks hopefully uh who's going to be talking a lot about these kind of cross-border transnational co-productions in south asia and there's a long history of these i'm really excited about that and i think that's something that we uh you know especially in times of covid i think they give you hope that people can bring their resources together um and you know while everybody's suffering from the same thing. So I think this is an example of how different industries can come together and, you know, produce good, meaningful work. We do have um, our, our special guest coming, but before we do that, Gwen and I had, you know, we thought maybe we'll go through Netflix and see what else you can watch. And I know you watched the first recommended, first one that we had, the Adam Sandler one, Gwen. Yeah, oh my God, I did. I had to watch Hubie Halloween uh, as soon as it came out. I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan and, uh, you know, far and away, Halloween is like my holiday. And so this, it was just this slice of nostalgia uh, that, I mean, it was essentially like a creepy Halloween themed Waterboy remake in a lot of ways. like a lot of ways, but I mean, I think consciously self-referential, but it was so much fun, um, just super enjoyable, uh, highly recommend. That's definitely on my list. And then there's The Haunting of Bly Manor and Rebecca, both of which are already on the top Pakistan um, watch uh, shows and uh, films in on Netflix. Um, I, what I loved about though, there's now a witchcraft TV program category Aside from the horror category, the sci-fi and the supernatural, there's also the witchcraft t- uh, TV category, which is amazing. And of course, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. This was like when we initially first bonded, I think, was over Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And we were so sad when it wasn't renewed. How can you not watch Stranger Things or Beetlejuice or The Shining, all of which are available on Netflix? Okay, folks, we'd like to welcome our first ever official guest, Omar Ali Khan, who in 2007 made Pakistan's first extreme horror film, Ziba Khana, a personal favorite of mine, I've written about it, and who apart from that has done immense work in documenting, archiving, and writing about Pakistani cinema and cinema culture. And we are just so thrilled and lucky to have him join us today. Thank you very much for asking me. 
Um, it's a pleasure, absolutely. Thank you, Ma, for being here for our Halloween special and for being the first official guest on Filming Happy Hour. Um, how have you been? How have you been during COVID? How have you been staying busy? Um, it's been, actually, I found myself very busier than I thought I'd ever be because of all this stuff that I've collected, the archive stuff. And unfortunately, not one of my strongest points is, is getting things uh, in, in order. And... Um, so this has been an opportunity to go back to square one and start sorting everything out so that it doesn't take me forever to find something because every time I have to look for something, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. And then I started doing these uh, reviews with a friend uh, who is very knowledgeable about uh, movies. But I enjoy doing the bit where I, you know, have uh, put together all the junk that I've collected, uh, movie related and uh, make the sort of video thing of it. That's fantastic. And I had actually, I mean, one of my questions is I was hoping uh, that you could talk more about uh, about the YouTube channel, about um, your friend Yasin Hamid and his kind of background yeah. uh, videos. I've watched several of them now and they're they're really fantastic. And I think Zebunissa and I might end up assigning them in our class to some of our students. That's fantastic because, you know, in a sense that was, uh... I kept on uh, telling Yasin Hamid that, look, the idea is that, uh, and this was very sort of COVID related where you're thinking about lots of things in different ways. And I thought, look, let's put all this together as something that lasts as a resource for people who, who may find it useful or informative or research, research students or, or what have you years down the line. So let our, let's put our resources together and, and shape it in a way that it is uh, useful to people. So I'm glad he's, he's been enjoying himself. He does this, he works on the radio, so he has that style, which I could never do. So I think he's great at what he does. We'll definitely share the link with our um, listeners as well, so they can also benefit from this incredible work. Um, before you joined, we were talking about Halloween movies. And hmm. do you ever celebrate Halloween? Do you ever, uh, do you have any- Halloween is movies? just about the only thing that I do celebrate. We've, all, you know, we've had a, a, a tradition for, well, actually, I shouldn't say it was the day we saw John Carpenter's Halloween, and and it's one of those days and one of those moments and one of those, you know, one of those things that happened that that will forever stay with me because it was so memorable. Um, uh, I think this is back in probably march 1979 or something so ever since then halloween because it wasn't it was very much an american thing and europe has gradually uh, adopted halloween uh, as the world has shrunk because of uh, satellite tv and then the internet and so on uh, there are certain things that us uh, i say us but we who've grown up in in a sort of british oriented culture halloween didn't mean anything to people you know a couple of decades ago but now it's it's just as as famous as it is here in Pakistan, which was the same case. We didn't know what Halloween was, but uh, yeah, it's become a bit, It's become the thing. Um, I usually celebrate myself watching a couple of horror movies, which I've probably watched twenty five times before. But that's Halloween. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Do you have that one special or two movies that you always watch for Halloween? Well. Um, there is, of course, Halloween, but I've watched it almost to the point of, you know, <laughs> knowing all the lines and knowing everything, which is fine. Um, there's Psycho, which I never get bored of, and there's always new stuff to find. I find that in the, in the 
in the most uh, you know in the most amazing films you discover things that perhaps you didn't see before and um, so there are those established uh, classics and stuff which uh, I love which I keep on going back to I've just been watching the hills have eyes but the remake um, and uh, I think that's brilliant uh, but as Halloween comes it's usually us the horror freaks are watching um, all October spent watching a, a horror movie at least a day till we get to the point that it's Halloween uh, I know that for Valentine's Day, it's always my bloody Valentine. What's your costume of choice? My costume of choice? Um, <laughs> I got, uh, well, I used to have, I actually the first, the, the, the best one is the Michael Myers mask, the original Michael Myers mask. And I had myself one several years ago and I decided to go around town driving uh, with it on. And it was weird because people weren't that aware in those days, it's a long time ago. But there was a delayed reaction, which was a little bit um, perhaps dangerous because people would realize after they had passed me sort of 30 seconds later that that was weird what they just saw. And uh, then they'd sort of jam on the brakes. But <laughs> uh, that gave me a bit of a thrill, I must say. But I've got several, I, I collected masks. Unfortunately, our, our weather here is so humid that you have to look after these masks very carefully in a temperature controlled environment because otherwise the latex which the better masks are made masks are made of they they tend to just stick and just become a sticky pulpy awful stuff but um uh, that would be my mask of choice there's leather face of course and uh, i have a wonderful brides of frankenstein mask as well i think Amazing. we have to see all of these at some point <laughs> <laughs> I think if I if I saw Michael Myers driving around Lahore or Islamabad, I or anywhere in the world, I would probably have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the actual one, which you know is of course uh, Captain Kirk's mask. <laughs> That's right. It's it's uh, painted. Yeah, it was right? it was bought for nothing, and it was just <laughs> down the street at the sort of uh, Walmart or something, and it was uh, it was him. Uh, so did you paint it yourself or did you get a painted? Paint no, I got or... one which was actually the, the the one that was the replica of the film one. So that one has sadly melted away. I don't have one at the moment. But uh, the one that I originally got was absolutely the right thing. Because, you know, they've made so many sequels. And us kind of, I say us, purists, uh, the Halloween purists kind of cringe at some of the masks they've used are just not... It's not the same thing. I mean, the guy in one of the movies, he was running and we were sort of looking at each other saying, look, man, he, he didn't run, you know, he never ran, what, you know. So there's that whole thing. So uh, there have been, I don't know how many sequels by now, but only two or three have been endorsed by the purists. I think the running might have been, if I'm not wrong, that might have been H2O. Um, H2O was, uh, yes, that's right. That's right. I, it was, it was a little bit of a, you know, the, you, the reaction was that, wait, something is wrong here. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember that very clearly. Yeah. Thinking through horror as a, as a genre and, you know, kind of its importance for so many of us, um, you know, I'm obsessed with horror, love horror films, uh, but it makes me think also uh, that horror is quite a polarizing genre. Like people don't tend to be lukewarm about horror the way they might be about action movies or historical dramas or something. Like people either kind of love or hate horror cinema. Why do you think that is? There's, you know, going back and going back and going back, horror has always been sort of the, 
you know, Bourne's uh, more presentable cousin or something, you know, the, uh, traditionally over the years. Uh, it's always been thought of that way until you got sort of a mainstream breakthrough because it was always considered, uh, you know, sort of for, for people who aren't normal in the head or just, you know, why would you want to go and watch something like that? Or, you know, whatever the case was, I find that, um, for example, Barrier Breakers, like The Exorcist was the, probably the first film that everybody saw. Uh, uh, people who didn't normally watch horror movies, even they went out to see it because of the whole hype and all that. But um, I think horror has, and especially in South Asia, it still carries that sort of slightly uh, seedy element to it where, uh, where it is considered cheap or in, in some way uh, not quite wholesome enough to be part of the general uh, mainstream cinema. Uh, and horror has uh, suffered for that notorious uh, uh, reputation that it has got or deserved or not deserved. But I think it's been the same pretty much most places. I mean, Hammer, Hammer Horror, they, it was always considered like, okay, they're going to have those scenes that are meant for you know, the titillation or the, you know, the excitement of that particular uh, part of the audience that's come to watch that. Um, so horror and uh, sex has always gone hand in hand. And maybe that is the prevalent reason for why horror isn't quite, um, quite there as mainstream as, a, as an action movie or a rom-com or, or an adventure movie, as you mentioned. Actually, it fits very well with one of the questions our students, Oswai Fatma, had um, for you, which was that why are relatively few successful horror films in Pakistan, um, with the exception, a possible exception of Pashto cinema, when there are tons of people who want to watch, uh, want to see B-horror films from Hollywood that are released in multiplexes here? True, that is true. Um, I think having been down this road of attempting a horror movie in Pakistan, I think part of the phobia is that the whole genre depends on, um, you know, the sort of grand guignol kind of effect that you have to shock people with, like a magic show where you have to shock them with, with, um, with effects and gore and, and that kind of thing. And I feel, I think that there's a sort of uh, insecurity which which is based on technology in that we aren't, we watch these films like, you know, Evil Dead, which is like, I think 40 years old now. Um, films even which were as amateurish as Evil Dead now would look to anybody who watches it. And I think they use paint rather than, uh, than makeup. But um, I think the Pakistani uh, feeling is that we can't match those shocks that everyone is used to having watched Western product. And therefore, this is a genre that is going to be difficult to deal with. And uh, in delivering those shock, that shock element, uh, they will disappoint audiences. So I think that's been one of the barriers. And secondly, you come to the whole issue of, um, you know, censorship and what you can, how horrible can you be? Uh, what can you show, what you can't show. And rather than take on, because after all, Pakistan is all about commercial cinema. And I think they will decide on that factor saying that, look, this is a risk that isn't worth taking. Because if you look throughout Pakistani horror movie history, none of the films have actually set the box office on fire, uh, as it were. Um, although you're absolutely right, there is a huge interest in the genre, as is there 
are the same. I think in India, um, the occasional horror movie is over there, especially has been very successful. But still, I think if you think about it, I was thinking the other day, your A-list stars, they don't sign for horror movies. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, the absolute, absolute top guys, until their career is faltering and beginning to go on the wrong side of, of, their, of the peak, uh, is when they'll sign a horror movie. And I think that's been the case in Bollywood as well. Yeah, I think the the only one I can think of is maybe um, like Akshay Kumar and Bhulbhulaya, which was a remake of yeah, yeah, a yeah. film that I can't remember the name of, but that's the only one. I agree with you that it's seen as kind of a a secondary genre or a B genre, even in even in India as well. Um, and this, you know, this kind of ties in uh, really uh, quite well with another question um, that a student shared with us, Iza Malik. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, asking that whether you think, you know, so we're in a moment or at least pre-COVID, now everything is, you know, in a bit of chaos, but there's a moment of this new Pakistani cinema and new filmmakers. And we've seen a few horror films come out uh, in the past few years, Sia, Aksband, Buddy, um, a few kind of more independent horror films come out here. They haven't had like massive runs, but do you see that potential um, uh, coming anytime soon? in Pakistan for development of horror films? Or do you think that, um, you know, do you see maybe certain steps that could be taken uh, to clear the way for really a a proper like genre of horror with a a dozen or a few dozen films to kind of develop in in mainstream Pakistani cinema? I think that the time is, is, you know, better than it ever has been with, uh, you know, with technology and cameras being available to to you know to people who would have to otherwise spend loads of money to even dream of making a film so in that sense i think uh, you have an opportunity to perhaps go ahead with making something in that in the horror genre like never previously before and it can be technically pretty good plus um, you've seen in uh, the west that the horror uh, genre has been reinventing itself and sometimes it's been on a, a based on uh, you know like the found footage stuff stuff you know there's a much um, there's an element which has gone against the sort of uh, huge budget kind of uh, look of a horror movie so um, I think that uh, it, it, technology presents a huge opportunity for young Pakistanis who have grown up watching a lot of good horror movies um, maybe it would help if they would go back a few years more and were less influenced by films like Saw and perhaps influenced by films uh, earlier uh, along the genre. Uh, One of the things which you did mention in your uh, previous blogs, which I thought was very interesting, was this whole thing about what is a Pakistani film? Because I think it's important also for the horror genre to kind of find something that is more organic to Pakistan or Pakistani life or the Pakistani experience rather than um, I mean, I shouldn't be the one to say this because my film is basically a, a, a nod to a lot of Western horror movies, mostly. Um, but I think it's it's important for us to find uh, our own horror film, you know, based on our own folklore, maybe, or our own culture in a certain way. Or, for example, you hear about the stories about going to a certain part of Karachi or a Haveli or something like that. So uh, rather than borrowing from a genre that is clicked in the West, 
which is easier to do, I suppose. Uh, somebody might do something interesting, which is more connected with uh, the experience of Pakistan. And maybe therefore tapping into a larger audience. Yeah, you know, this interestingly also um, ties into a student question um, asking, you know, where are the Pakistani films that are uh, bringing in, and sorry, this question is from Laiba Siddiqui, that um, where are the movies about jinns and Jureli and, you know, Pichal Bari and, and these kind of things, like, um, there, there doesn't seem to be as much like capitalizing on those. Although I guess the one exception I can think of is in television drama, where you get dramas that feature like, um, you know, Nazare Bad, uh, or there's even the Pakistani remake of Nagin, right? Uh, after they banned the Indian Nagin, they made a Pakistani Nagin, which has like almost the same visual language, um, but maybe like slightly less overtly Hindu. Uh, so I'm wondering why maybe that doesn't come up as much in cinema. You're absolutely right. Uh, the person who asked the question about why there there ought to be more films about exactly such subjects because. In many such cases, you don't need to rely so much on uh, technical, you know, fancy special effects in the cases of jinns and, and parties. And uh, a film that comes to mind was uh, The Witch recently, uh, a few years ago, you remember, I'm sure you've seen it. I don't think it needs huge amount of investment of money either. So, it, you know, if it has a reasonable run at the box office, I think it would be, it would uh, set a precedent maybe. Maybe that's kind of the niche market that uh, that Pakistani cinema needs to needs to address now, because there are so many. I think about you know um, all the all the fourteen year old nephews that everybody has here, and how obsessed they are with horror movies, and they all want to watch you know The Nun and this and and um, you know whatever is coming out of Hollywood. But uh, if if there was a Pakistani horror film, and I I think the example of The Witch is a really good one. I saw that. I saw that in theaters and um, I was blown away by this exact same thing. It was very, almost like harkening back to classic Hollywood in the level of suspense that was built up without a lot of like CGI or special, any even special effects, even like makeup and things. Also for having made a horror movie, there's a huge market uh, there of these horror, there's a huge horror community out there abroad. Uh, all over and they have these big festivals uh, in major cities all over the world and and they're just you know they're always looking for something that is remotely interesting from Pakistan to promote or to show or to say that look we've got this something from Pakistan because they haven't really had much uh, before so there is that opportunity that that uh, that you could recover your finances if you made a half decent movie even going that route because you'll sign up a few uh, you know, deals for, you know, uh, streaming or, or home DVD or Blu-ray and so on. What was it that drew you to more unusual or unconventional films? Well, I was always obsessed with horror movies growing up. So it was something that was, uh, you know, just part of who I am. Uh, my father used to take us to watch Hitchcock movies when I was seven or eight years old. And I remember being terrified of they used to have Hammer, Hammer Horror Double Bills uh, in England on the weekend. And I remember working myself up into a state of not being able to watch. I would get so excited and so scared. And uh, things like Curse of Frankenstein would absolutely scare me to a state. 
I ended up uh, studying film and the instigator most of all was when my father was writing books about uh, his family history or him whatever interests him um, I felt that it was time to to perhaps do something with that education that I was fortunate enough to have and to go to film you know to a film school and to learn this or that and to have this mad passion about horror movies and it was time to put it all together and uh, stop talking about that I'm going to do this and finally just make it happen so I luckily found another a couple of people who were equally passionate as myself who kicked me along into into making it happen and even though it was a tough time and it was a you know it was just the most incredible learning experience of my life that's how this film came along the horror movies that influenced me most are of a certain time period i mean this is the same with everyone they they have this certain time period in their life which is when they're growing up normally it's between sort of what 14 and when you get old <laughs> is when you uh, you idolize a period, you know the songs the movies and all that and uh, same here uh for me it was the 70s and the 80s uh so there are movies like texas chainsaw massacre halloween uh um you know films of that era uh, which uh, i when i put my film together it had a mind of in a way uh, saying thank you to these films that had shaped my or shape me the way i am tell us a bit about your experience of, of filming zabahana and when some of our students want to know did anything scary happen while you were filming well a couple of interesting things did ha- happen and I, i will of course forget as usual as i'm just babbling on but there was uh, there was after the shoot uh, there was this there was a scene where the um, the old lady lives in this little hut and uh, in after in that hut they found a corpse uh, a day or two two days after we had ended our shooting and moved on and gone home that was literally the last of the of the shoot and there was a body co- uh, found there which luckily wasn't part of anything to do with us but evidently that was a place where we were shooting is where criminals would come and dump corpses <laughs> so that was one thing that happened and another was i remember one day when uh, there were these things which i wasn't used to having seen them on any you know, nature programs and things and there was a sort of wandering around couple of them and now after covid and all that it comes together i mean though i knew then but they were pangolins and these are just in islamabad there were these large pangolins wandering around they didn't look particularly uh fearsome at all they're like anteaters but uh weird looking scaly things uh, minding their own business quite shy but there were also these quite large six for sort of four foot monitor lizard thingies which were a little bit uh hmm a little bit weird but otherwise the there was nothing that happened that was uh particularly nasty poor rabia choudhry who was one of the who was the bitchy girl she had a whole latex body thing made of herself which was um never used actually in the movie because uh, even though she went through it it was not fun for her but uh, we didn't end up using it in the movie uh again uh, horror movies are a little bit tricky because uh if things look too ropey then it sort of undermines your whole effort 
But no, there wasn't anything particularly alarming as such. The dead body is pretty... <laughs> I was just going to say... That was serious because we could have been, you know, hauled in to sort of answer this or that, but luckily that didn't happen. But it was, you know, it wasn't nice to know that, okay, this is where they hang out. It was strange though, because we were shooting through the night and often we would have all the police people, the guys who were on duty, they would just come in, sit there with their cups of tea and having their smoke. And they would be uh, just watching for, you know, nighttime entertainment. It was a weird shoot, yes. I'm also fascinated about the pangolins. I had no idea uh, we yeah. had them in Pakistan. Thinking of animals, so um, we had some. We had another student who was really interested by a lot of the a lot of the symbols and the symbolism in Zabakhana. So um, this is from our student Nimrat Tarif, and she she you know watched the film and um, was noticing the motif of water, the moon insects and then also the the, the um, sound motif of dole as well and so I, I was just wondering if you could kind of speak to the importance of these particular motifs or, or how you kind of came across them because um, there are ways of treating those of course like moon is in a lot of horror films but that's also a very um, South Asian theme as well like the moon plays plays a really important role all across South Asian cinema. And then Dole, of course, is a very kind of indigenous thing. And the water issue that comes up in the film, um, issue of pollution and water scarcity is a huge uh, thing in Pakistan um, in, in recent years. So I was wondering if you could just talk maybe about some of those visual motifs. Well, actually, look, I'm going to be completely honest here. There's been a lot that's been, you know, I'm blown away by the, the you know, the work that's been um, written on this movie, people have analyzed it in different ways. People have found things which I intended or didn't, uh, and many times didn't intend to be, you know, absolutely upfront about it. The, the, it makes it even more fascinating for me that people are able to look to find these things in the sub subtext of a movie which, which uh, exist or they can read into or whether they were deliberately infused into it or not. Um, there are many things which, uh, not many things, but there are a significant amount of things which, which I read about and, I, and it interests me because I think that people are looking at things in a fascinating way, which is for them and their own experience, they have been able to read things into the film which are relatively true, uh, completely true for them. And in certain, in certain instances, uh, open my eyes to it as well, thinking that, hey, this is something that is a part of your personality that you have, without knowing it, is part of the texture of the movie. Um, so there, there, you know, there are many things that I can claim to say that yes, this was done deliberately, and this is something which has become part of the texture of the film that you have been able to draw upon. And it, it's not like, it's not like I would. It's fascinating for me to find that people are able to do that. And it's equally exciting for me to know that, wait a second, I didn't even, that's something that I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. And yet it's something that, that, uh, you know, you can actually have a conversation about or think about why they are, why they feel in that way or, or sense in that particular way. But um, there were certain things in the movie that were deliberately done in that I know that it is a, 
it's a situation where censorship is heavy and you can't overtly say certain things and there's a line that you mustn't cross, which I think if it was released today, it would be banned outright uh, the way things are. But um, it, it, um, it, it brought, you know, the, the little things like, you know, the newspaper heading, the, as you mentioned, the pollution, uh, the different issues, even the kids smoking, what they talk about, the fashion shows, the poverty, the, you know, it was all kind of woven into it. And um, without trying to smack you on the head, but it's all there. The best thing about this movie ultimately is that people are able to draw upon certain things and make parallels to, to life as it is in Pakistan or to draw something out of it that makes, that makes the film much richer than uh, I ever imagined that it could be. When are you making your next horror film? In- uh, there, we have written, there is a script which, is, which was very promising. I spoke to somebody who you'd be very excited about because I know that you're a huge fan of Zinda Bhag, as uh, am I. I. I think it's, you know, old or new. I haven't seen many of the new films, let's be honest. But I think it was an exceptional Pakistani film and it ranks for me as being one of the, the most amazing Pakistani films in the sense that we were talking about organic Pakistani films. And I think that's about the real, the, the, you know, the truest representation that I have seen because a lot of the other films seem like um, advertisements, uh, which is fine if that's the kind of thing you like. But uh, I thought Zinda Bhag was outstanding. I was uh, speaking to Farjad Nabi, who I find to be like a kindred spirit because he's a complete weirdo. And I hope he takes that, that completely the right way. I mean, he, he appreciates those completely insane things which, which we love about our cinema. And I think that shows through their movie, the fact that they use Punjabi, everything about it was, I thought, wonderful. We were about to start working or at least talking about the possibility of working on a, a horror movie which would be made up of various short stories. And if there is anyone who I would be absolutely delighted and thrilled to work with, it would be him and his partner, Minu, uh, who also works with any film-related project that they're into. But then, of course, COVID happened, and I've been out of touch for a while, and at the moment, things are a little bit difficult. But who knows, you know? I mean, maybe something could come of it, and for me, it would be a huge thrill. That would be fantastic. I think that is something that um, people will be very excited to see. I'm very excited to just to hear about it, so I really hope um, that you can all make this happen. He's just so wonderful. I, I, I was blown away. Uh, he, he sent me a film which he had made about this character, which I'm sure Gwen, you know, uh, Sultan Billah. And Sultan Billah, he said, oh, I've made this film about Sultan Billah. He used to be the extra of Sultan Rahi and he used to do his stunt work and so on. And I kind of, I saw his film and I said, man, this is the guy who played the Borka man from Zibakhana. So I know him. Uh, but Fajad is, uh, for me, was just another reason to get excited about perhaps making another film again. That would be just fantastic. As far as I know, in the Anglophone world, for sure, you are pretty much like the expert on Pashto cinema, on, on Pashto horror cinema specifically. So I kind of was hoping to ask you to talk a little bit more about Pashto horror cinema for, for people, for the uninitiated. I don't speak Pashto. I am. I wish I could, but I don't. It to me, it's not an easy language to follow. 
but I watched them because when I came back, when I was much younger, I thought, look, let me, I've heard about Pashto films. So let me go to my local and ask the guy about, you know, just hand me over a bunch of titles, which you, you think are, uh, you know, a little bit weird or a little bit, you know, eye opening in a certain way or not. So luckily he got the gist of it and I was given a bunch of films and I have to say it wasn't easy to watch them because they were uh, aesthetically as atrocious a level of, of uh, filmmaking as I have seen since my student days. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that. I must say that I enjoyed some of them. But, uh, and there was, uh, there was a lot of, there were monsters and hairy monsters and Sometimes horror movies have all those ingredients which are required by your local audiences or the producers think that these are the requirements that you need for making a successful movie. And a horror movie, especially those kind where a woman is treated in a certain way again and again and again and again, and then she's murdered and tossed aside or whatever, and then she rises up to take revenge because then you have the seduction scenes, you have five different dances for five different perpetrators. Remember, she was violated by a bunch of people. And at the same time, you ask where the rape culture and all that thing came from, and you're looking left and right, and it's right there in front of you. Um, then the woman will seduce the guy, there'll be a disgustingly violent end to the perpetrator of the initial uh, violation. And this is this makes perfect uh, ground for any kind of horror movie. And so the Pashto, some Pashto producers and directors have uh, merged the what I call I spit on your grave theme and uh, used it within the realms of horror to exploit all other elements of uh, what they think would sell their film because at the end of the day, it is about money. Uh, there are some Pashto horror films Lord the Bala was the one that shocked me probably most of all in the sense that it was, I remember putting a clip on YouTube way back in the day and YouTube removed it for being too disgusting uh, for their standards. And I thought, mm, okay, <laughs> I can understand why. There's other stuff. Uh, there's a film called Gurkant, which um, is fascinating and grave digging. And again, very strangely sexual. There's Adam Khor uh, against uh, there's Bala, all the films have the undercurrent of uh, this very sexual kind of stuff going on. And the problem for me was they usually have uh, at least half a dozen songs which kind of slows things down and makes them difficult to watch for somebody like me because I can't understand the language to begin with. Not that you have to be extraordinarily, uh, you know, have insight to understand what's going on. Uh, but uh, there are a bunch of uh, Pashto horror films. Uh, there are a few Urdu horror films as well. The older ones are probably a little bit more interesting in some senses. Well, you brought up some really interesting points here. And I think one of the things that's coming up so much right now, which we, you know, those of us interested in film, filmmaking, the, in the industry, are really struggling with right now, which is a question of censorship. Um, the banning of things, the, you know, the removal of things. How, how should one, how does one deal with this? And what advice does then one give to aspiring filmmakers or for horror films, let's say, when you have to deal with so much of what may or may not be um, 
released or screened? You mentioned that earlier as well. How does one tackle something like this? This is a deep-rooted issue. Um, I wouldn't want to say the wrong thing, but the, the sad fact of the matter uh, is that we were waiting for this film by um, uh, Mr. Kusart. And um, that film seems to have, you know, been deemed objectionable. Uh, I, I find it very, very, personally speaking, I've dealt with the censor board. I've dealt with the previous chairman who was a, just a lovely man. Uh, nothing personal here. But the thing is that I think that the, generally the censor board is extremely patronizing towards adult Pakistanis for not being able to discern what is right for them and what is wrong for them. That is, that is you're questioning the core of my family's values because I, I feel that you, you don't need to force feed your public in, into uh, believing that this is the way to go and this is not the way to go. I don't think it, it really works that way. All you get is some sort of resentment in the end. Um, I think there should be a huge amount of diversity, uh, which at the moment, it doesn't seem like it's going to be allowed. At the moment, we know that the larger amount of money uh, pre-COVID that was coming into cinema and even some uh, TV serials was coming from um, you know people who glamorize violence. And uh, that is a problem for me. Uh, I've seen excellent Pakistani films uh, over the years, especially in the 60s. Um, we had a problem with, uh, in 1977, with the military coup uh, that coincided with another issue, which I think is not given enough emphasis, and that is technology in that right when General Zia was, uh, came to power or seized power in 77, was just the arrival of the video cassette recorder, but in 77, it was too expensive for the average person to afford. But by 82, 83, it was affordable. And for the history of Pakistani cinema, that was a, a huge event because it took away a certain type of person who would go to the cinema and they chose not to go anymore. So Urdu movies really almost evaporated uh, at that point. And the cinema going dynamic and the 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 type you know the whole uh, situation changed uh, there was a time when we were growing up where you know your families would bump into people who they would be working with uh, during the day that didn't happen after the vcr was introduced into our culture but um at the moment i'm afraid uh, we are caught in a bit of a, a, a sticky uh, situation because how many times can you watch films that are, I mean, you can have so many rom-coms, you can have so many Punjab nahi jaungi or Karachi se Punjab or, or, you know, culture clash kind of fun stuff. It's not, it's not offensive. It's fine. It's, but I think audiences deserve uh, a little bit more audience. Uh, the, there's no, you know, you, you should have a, system by which you distinguish between films that are meant for younger audiences and films that you don't want to see young people to see, but to, to bang everything, just throw everything together. There was this whole deal about that movie about cannibalism that came out a few months ago. Um, is, you know, there's no need for that if you're more pragmatic in your approach. And I think one of the, the main words that comes to mind is insecurity. 
let people decide for themselves. Insecurity is becoming a large part of the way we function. And I think that the more we randomly block this and stop that and ban this, and, and especially in the world of the internet, it just makes us look a little bit silly, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, you're, if you uploading a clip from a supposedly censor board past uh, Pashto film that got banned by YouTube. Uh, and, and, and now we have uproar over a biscuit ad. Uh, so there's, I, I mean, there has been a shift, but maybe there were also, you know, elements of this attitude towards particular kinds of content that were already there, but have just kind of exacerbated. And I think you summed up quite quite beautifully um, that kind of sea change that came into Pakistani cinema after uh, after the introduction of the VCR and and the sort of struggles the cinema has faced. And in that vein, we were hoping to get your recommendations for people moving into Halloween. Like, what should they be watching that's maybe a little more interesting or unconventional? For Pakistani horror films, I think the ones that that come to mind or spring to mind most of all for me are obviously Zinda Lash, uh, the one which was made in 1967, which wasn't the first, but the second Pakistani horror film ever made. Uh, the first one, the one that came just a year or so before, no, a couple, two, three years before it, I think 1964, was a film called Diwana, which was... Um, Again, Habib is involved, uh, the late Habib, a really, really wonderful uh, man. He was involved in both these films. In fact, uh, more than involved, he was catalyst in both the films being uh, produced. And uh, he was obviously a man who was interested in hammer horror and, and different kinds of filmmaking. And he always took on the debonair, dashing hero kind of role. But he's in both of them. And Divana especially is extremely ambitious it attempts this whole invisible man thing, which in those days was unthinkable. And it's not laughably awful. Uh, my only problem with it is that the romance is too long and the horror scenes aren't there enough. But other than that, it's definitely one to watch. And it is both, uh, I think Diwana is on YouTube at the moment. Sarkata and San, it would be the third one, which is, um, it's fascinating. It was made by another guy, uh, Mr. Rizvi from Karachi, who kind of, um, got disillusioned with the way films headed towards, uh, became in the 80s, but he used to make some interesting films and usually tried to push boundaries. And in this film, he attempted uh, a film that was unique to Pakistani cinema. You may not like it, you may not uh, find it that uh, interesting or entertaining, but it is a fascinating film nonetheless. So I would recommend those three. And Lord the Bala, the Pashto one, watch out for that. That's really amazing. <laughs> Um, as far as generally horror movies, well, I'm of the age now that uh, nothing really scares me anymore uh, in the cinema and so on. But I must say that the last one that really scared me watching in the cinema, I remember there was about 3,000 or so. Maybe those days will come back, maybe they won't. But there was about 3,000 people in this massive cinema. It was during a film festival, the movie was in French. Uh, and uh, I remember bumping into, I happened to be on a jury at that film festival and uh, they were showing films repeatedly. And a couple of the people who was in, our, in the jury, they bumped into me in a corridor somewhere and said that, hey, have you seen this guy's 
new film because it's on it's the next one we have to see so you're going to love it these two spanish guys so i went along in the evening and uh, watched this movie and uh, i thought my god this was a thrill and a half the movie is alexandra aja's switchblade romance as the uk title was it's otherwise known as high tension or haute tension or alta tension as we first saw it but it absolutely pummeled me as far as suspense uh, nerve shredding suspense and a lot of gore and uh, obviously the director for me knew how to manipulate manipulate his audience absolutely brilliantly and i had never felt that rush that adrenaline rush of a uh, horror movie fear in a movie in, in a theater there since halloween so it was 30 40 30 years since that had happened and this is the movie that i would recommend more than any other to watch on halloween night but turn up the volume because it sounds brilliant and he of course has gone on by the way i fought with the jury then to make sure that he got the best director award he doesn't know that but maybe one day and he's made some brilliant horror movies since then including crawl from last year if uh, i enjoyed it a lot i don't know about you but he's made some good stuff the hills have eyes as well so alexander aja for me at the moment is horror movie director number 1 You know horror movies have to reinvent the wheel the wheel every now and then they have to do it i don't think the other genres have to so much but horror movies have to change that jack in the box so that every genre you get a new jack in the box then everyone jumps on the bandwagon and does the same kind of thing everyone gets bored of it and then somebody comes along that reinvents the wheel a little bit and for 10 years you get horror movies refreshed again and i think we're waiting for like what's going to what's going to be next that makes us go wow I think our topic for Gwen and myself is Zibakhana for this Halloween. Okay. Where can people watch watch it? Zibakhana is uh, I think I I I noticed a few weeks ago that I think it's going out of print generally. It used to be on Netflix when nobody knew about Netflix. Um uh it isn't there anymore. I'm not exactly sure because I checked eBay a few days ago and people are making lots of money off it. It was pirated here. and uh, but i think you know nobody has it anymore but i think that's the next big project we need to get zibakhana out there circulating um on these platforms for for our viewers thank you so much for joining us this has been such a special episode for us thank you so much thank you and bye bye so that's all from us i hope you enjoyed our halloween special this was just so much of a treat that i'm almost disappointed that we don't have a trick for you <laughs> don't forget to like share subscribe uh leave us a review it makes a huge difference um and also please follow us on twitter at filmy happy hour f i l m i and we're also on facebook facebook.com/filmy happy hour so you can get all of the latest updates from our team and with that class is dismissed Now go watch something scary something spooky <laughs> something, something filmy, filmy.